Well, this is a podcast all about how my mom protects my team from plows. So I'd like to take the place that own days me, bro. Eternal is the dirtles, the sneak is the show. Shops is where we tap blackboard of lands. On the stack is where we strategize most of our plans. Underground dark red cast ad nod. Stop by force of will plus a storm you just lost. Went into game two thinking gotta go off. Couple lotus pedals hit the tabletop. I'm fighting one little counter war mind break trap. Guess you gotta go with goblins without flashback. Flipping delvers day after day, and Tom Agorth is no longer seeing play. I delved an angler, then I named you a true name, then I swung in for lethal mini progen is a shame. Chalas, yo, this is bad. Locking one cost spells on the play like that. Is this what Dex with Aldrazi looking like? Shit, this game's gonna be tight. But wait, I got K Command Edict and all that. Is this the kind of draw I need to steal this game back? They got a thought, not Cavern to Smasher. I hope I can hack it in the winning in bracket. I lost. Sack to the best card off the top of my deck, and I yelled for a judge. Judge! I looked at my board, and I saw it's not there. I didn't be bored. I'm a wizard in pairs. Hello, and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Nathan Golia. Nate, how's it going? Pretty good, Zach. How about yourself? I can't complain. It's early still. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I'm really excited for tonight's show. Uh, we've got a great guest, uh, Callum Smith, who has been working hard on an Arclade Phoenix deck in Legacy. Recently made it to the finals of the Legacy Challenge with it, but we've also seen the deck, what was it, 9-0 at the Star City Open, into like a 14-1 or something like that. Um, so, and I love Arclade Phoenix, as listeners know, and I've played this deck a few times, and... Callum's been a great sport about putting up with all my crazy ideas via, you know, source and Facebook messages, but uh, uh, but he's really doing a lot of work on it. So uh, let's welcome in Callum. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. I'm very hey, man. excited. Glad to, to have you. Yeah. Um, your, your, your ideas weren't too crazy, but they were, <laughs> they were drifting off a little bit. <laughs> what, you didn't like Narcomiva double prize amalgam? <laughs> I, I loved it, but... <laughs> it didn't work. Yeah, I understand. Um, yeah. Callum, I actually went back and listened to our uh, our set review for Arclade Phoenix, and I had I know I've told this for a couple of times, but I bumped it up to like third in the queue. And Zach, you said to me, "I think you're smoking the funny stuff." As soon as I read this card, <laughs> but I immediately was like, "This card is resonant and fun." And I'm just wondering, when you was this a case where you saw this card when it was spoiled and were just like, "I have to build something around this card," or did you start to see it percolate over time in Modern and Standard? Yeah, it it didn't really jump out to me as something that I wanted to build straight away. It was whenever I see a new set, I basically I pre-order any cards that look abusable. So this one jumped out, and the Runaway Steamkin looks abusable as well. So I pre-ordered those for like, well, like two or three dollars worth each. Yeah. And uh, I just thought, yeah, like it's worth having these cards just in case something happens. So I didn't even think of making a legacy deck at all at the beginning. But then it started to see some play in standard. I was like, okay, that seems cool. And then it started to see play in modern. And from there, things progressed. But yeah, I, I, it didn't like resonate with me straight away. Um, but it, you know, eventually you got there, and I think that's um, you know that's that's what's been fun so far is just really you know getting finding this combo for those of you who aren't familiar. It, the combo is dark ritual and buried alive, which buried alive is a triple in tomb for creatures only. 
And then all I have to do is cast one more spell that turn. Um, and I think yeah. that had been, I didn't, we didn't mention it on the, on the cast. I don't know if it was immediate that it came up. We, I know it had been bandied about a bit in the source. Um, when did you decide, or what made you sort of decide to explore it? Or what was your first sort of inkling of, as to where that combo could be slotted into? Yeah, so a little bit about myself. I'm not really like a very competitive player. I'm fairly casual and I like Timmy decks. I like to try and abuse silly interactions and stuff. But I'm just also hopelessly addicted to this game, so I talk about it and play it a lot. So <laughs> that's where it, like the competitive side might look like it comes from. So Buried Alive has always been a massive pet favorite card of mine. It's just so sweet. I love the flavor of it. I love the art on all the versions. And I love the Necrotic Ooze decks and stuff. And mm -hmm. so I got the idea first from Ethan, whose Monkeys Can't Cry on MTGO. He's a very, very good amp player who also won the challenge last week. He plays a lot of Spanish Inquisition. And he posted a picture of his cyborg plan of four buried lives and four Archive Phoenixes. And he put a screenshot of attacking with three Archive Phoenixes in turn one. And I was just in love. <laughs> I just, yeah, right. It was just so sweet. And then uh, <clears throat> Patrick Schuster, who's Orem67, the Dredge King, he then started talking about a kind of a reanimated deck. So it was a Grizzlebrand deck, but with that interaction in the deck as well. So then we were just kind of like messing around talking about the idea. Um, and I kind of just passed it off as a bit too cute. And, uh, but I still wanted to kind of try and check out the interaction. So I actually built a very, very first terrible, terrible deck to play at our like, local weekly Legacy Nights, which was kind of a take on the old Black Death deck, if you know that. It was like mm -hmm. Chain Lightnings, Lightning Bolts, Thoughts, Is It, Dark Confident and stuff. So it had Swift Spear as well, Manamorphose. They had Young Pyromancer and Therapy, had Bloodgasts and Tombs, Faithless Looting and stuff. And it was just straight black-red. And so it, I, I cold-fished it a bit and it felt terrible, <laughs> but it was pretty cool. So I, I was going to take it and then I think something happened so I couldn't go. But then as I was gold-fishing it more, I realized the really busted hands like would be just dark ritual buried alive. So I was like, okay, let's give this a bit more of a go. And then where the deck really, like the deck idea really came into my head was I was very bored on Monday at work. And I messaged our local London legacy chat saying, all right, guys, it's Monday. I'm always bored on Monday. Let's make a deck to play tomorrow our Tuesday Legacy Night. So I sent over the thing, and it was like, it was it had Culling the Week and Bloodgasts. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, now you're speaking yeah. my language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you would have liked it as well. It was uh, Culling the Weeks with the actual extra dark rituals just to uh, buried life and stuff. And it was, yeah, it was going like pretty heavy on Clathus Lootings. I, th I think I was already playing blue because I said, you know, well, you want to play Instance of Sorcery, so you have to play Cantrips. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it was much more, like, almost like Zombardment, actually. There was even two Goblin Bombardments in there. So maybe, maybe I'll have to send this, uh, this to you afterwards. I'll play this, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding? I can't wait. <laughs> no. So, yeah. Uh, again, like, I was kind of goldfishing it, and when you have, like, a, a Blood Gas and you cut in the weaker and play Buried Alive, it was pretty cool. So then... Uh, I was uh, built it for our Tuesday Night Legacy. And then while I was at work during the Tuesday, I had better and better ideas. I was thinking, okay, you need to just play like all the cantrips. And so I didn't even have Ponder in the first one. It was just like Brainstorm because I wanted to put back the Phoenixes if you draw them. Right. And then I got to, I actually got to four color with Mentors and Lingering Souls before the Young Pyromancers again. So it was really just a mess. But then I went home and wanted to build a more straightforward, streamlined Grixis version before the night. So I put that together. 
and then forrode our legacy knight with it. And against some pretty decent decks and players as well. So it's okay, let's give this a go. I then I think I streamed it a couple of nights. This one I, the deck, yeah, yeah. I streamed it a few times and then played it at a local, like about sixty to seventy person event. And I went four two, so I lost the round one to Agra alone, which I found out is a very hard matchup because they have Chalice, Leyline, and they attack from so many different angles. Yeah. And I lost to like a, a bug Nick fit with lots of Leovold's deck, kind of had slower hands, but I beat lots of other tier one decks and. Uh, the deck really showed its power in a match against Lands, where he had Explorations out, he had Ghost Quarters, Wastelands, and I just had a fetch land in play. And I drew a Faithless Looting. And with the fetch land, I got to cast the Looting. I drew into a Phoenix and into Second Land. I had the Dark Ritual and the Buried Life in hand. I got to just throw four Phoenixes out of nowhere. And, <laughs> and the guy just did not expect it at all. And I didn't really either. It surprised me as well. I was like, wow. And he just, just died to it. So, yeah, so that's kind of the beginning of where the deck came from. And then from there, as I started to stream it more, talk with friends about it. There was, there's a lot of like cute directions you can take it. So the Entombs were quite quickly cut because they just they just do a much, such a worse job of Buried Alive. And the other problem is they make you play lots of cool cards, which are not very good, like Deep Analysis, Lingering Souls, and Creeping Chill and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to just jump in here because while you're doing all this development on the deck, I was still working on it in the non-blue version and the oh, things yeah. and it was interesting the, the way the way i think that i got i was surprised i don't know if I, was, if I watched your stream or i played the deck first um because we had been going back and forth a little bit on the source but i remember just being like i just didn't think that buried alive for this was going to be an impactful enough play given the fact that grizzle brand exists right and no, i didn't think that that playing the, this kind of grixis deck would be would would be any better than playing just a Grixis deck. But I would I've just been what what had what happened what really turned around for me was I just realized how insanely busted the buried alive hands are, especially on turn one or two. And you know, it is really hard for someone to come back from that. Because the haste makes a huge difference, I think. It just you you get in for the nine immediately and that's half your life total right there. Yeah. Pretty much. You, you know. kill them the next turn almost Almost every single time. Like, and I, there's very few FedEx can deal with that. And I or think basically. I sent you, I, mean, I don't know how many screenshots I sent you, like, you know, <laughs> here, I'm not, I don't even get to attack. The yeah, triggers yeah, are on no. the stack or the dark rituals on the stack and it's over. <laughs> like, yeah, that's like, exactly oh. what happens. Like, and I don't, I don't blame them because they're like a Delver deck or Grixis Control, they just have no outs. They, they cannot beat it. Like, maybe a Deluge, but against non like Source of Power's Terminus decks, they just keep coming back. Yeah, you can block with your Strix. Yeah, you can trade with your Delver. And then I'm just going to cast cantrips, which draw me more cantrips and more disruption. And they just keep coming back. Right. It's, it's super powerful. Yeah, I mean, so, it seems like in, in a Delver-like matchup, their only hope is to force of will the Buried Alive. Uh, you know, because there's a pretty good chance you're going to have mana for a days uh, yes. if you're doing this, you know. And, and as soon as the Phoenixes hit the yard, that's it. Like, there's not a whole lot the other person can do. Once you start casting spells, it's it, it's going to be really tough to come back from that. Yeah, um, they're so versatile as well. Like it's, they don't just attack. Like so, I've had some insane game against against Black Red Reanimator where I think this was in. I played this deck this deck in two challenges and I top eight the first one as well. And in one of the game twos, I had four Phoenixes come back three times and trade off with a Grave Titan, the four tokens it made, and a Chancellor. And, Jeez. Uh, so. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, yeah. so they traded off, traded off, I get them back. And this is all through a chancer as well. I was playing Cabal Therapy and flashing it back, but none of these have to resolve. None of them were resolving through the chancellor, which was still in play. And yeah, so I traded off with all of that and then got them back attacked. He made a grizzle brand, but they were lethal through the grizzle brand. Yeah, right. it was great. Yeah, crazy um, stuff. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about. Uh, I'm sorry, let's take another question on that. Mm -hmm. that. No, 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 go ahead. What I want to talk about is like, so we've, we've, we established that Buried Alive, Dark, or Dark Ritual Buried Alive for these Phoenixes is good and, in fact, awesome, right? Yeah. But then there's the what's in the rest of the deck, right? And yeah. there's been a lot of things we've churned through. Uh, we we uh, we've gone through these the two the young pyromancers coming in and out. We splashed white for mentor as you touched on. Um, let's start. Let's actually start with with young pyromancer because I think that was the first thing for arc lights for young pyromancers as the only creatures, and then a, and then a deck full of spells. Yeah, actually, um, there's there's some even uh, earlier kind of ideas which. Uh, Peter White is a very good friend of mine from London. He's the, the person I started talking to about the deck at the very beginning first with. And he's he's Power 22 online. So if anyone plays online, they'll know he likes very, very weird and cool decks. And he loves yeah. brewing. So he was my like brewer to come with this. And we were trying out... The very first things were more combo-focused. So the interaction of LED and Infernal Tutor, it's a tutor and you get three mana. Yeah. Uh, and uh, very live cost three mana. So we're like, okay, well, we can do that. But the LED discarding your hand was so all in, and you don't have any like follow up if they can deal with the phoenixes. So that was a bit too all in, and then we started working on a list like again more combo focused, but Cabal Ritual for Dark Petition. Dark Petition makes the three black mana for very light. So there was like a almost like a storm version, but again it wasn't like just cutting it because all the good hate against you that Storm usually struggles with is good against you, but you're just a, you are just a worse Storm deck. We we eventually got to. So, so yeah. We ended yeah, we ended up on these orthogonal plans to the Phoenix plan. And exactly. I think that's where we want to go, because we've churned through a bunch now. We start out with yeah. the four young Pyromancers, and I, I don't remember exactly. Maybe you can jog my memory. You ended up switching from young Pyromancer to Mentor yeah. and Splashing White. Was that because the main deck, or was that a sideboarding situation? I forget exactly what the... That was just me trying to see how much I can push the deck. So, oh, okay. Yeah. It, yeah. I think I, I think I literally just added the, a couple more Lotus Petals, changed the dual lands to white, and played Mentors. And you get some better sideboard options, arguably. But um, well, the sideboard is, was insane in that deck. Yeah, Serenity Kambal, is great. Kambal Kambal is, is insane. Nuts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Serenity so. is absolutely ridiculous against these Chalice decks. So yeah, you got some heavy hitters. So, but Mentor. So when I first built the Mentor deck, as I said, it was literally just. I messaged some of the friends I was talking to about the deck and said, I'm just going to play some mentors. Like, this seems even better. And the first league I played, I just steamrolled and went 4 0. I lost the last round to Blue Black Shadow, where, like, I mulligan to five and kind of miss land drops and wastelands, like the usual stuff that you lose to. I played a second round, second league, steamrolled 4 0 again and again, like, lost the last round to some, like, nuts, depth hands, I think, or something. So I genuinely thought that. This, this deck was going to break the format completely. It's, it felt absolutely broken beyond anything I've played in ages. But then as I played it a bit more, I think I played like six or seven leagues before getting a proper feel for it. I felt like the Wastelands were like hitting me heavier than the Grixis version. You needed more mana to cast the Mentor, obviously. Against Delve, I was really struggling to kind of like land a threat because yeah. the difference of two mana for Pyromancer and three for Mentor is huge in this format. So... 
Yeah, I think at the end of the day, Grixis is, it's very hard to see this on the surface when you just look at the competitor lists, because the Mentor one on the surface just looks better, because Mentor is better than Young Pyromancer. But the difference of that mana cost of, of these two different plans, as you're talking about, is just huge in a format where the first three turns matter, because Mentor's often like a turn three or four play, and it's really impacting the board in turn four onwards, so... Yeah, I, mean, was... I went three and one when I tried the Esper version the first time. Yeah. And I was just like, I can't believe... I, I lost the first round basically because I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, and my hands seem terrible. And then I kind of like... Yeah. I thought I just warmed up, but I think I just like drew insane. Because, <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm making like all these... I'm making all these monks, and like, you know, they deal with the monks, and I make a, you know, nine power phoenixes. Yeah. And, yeah. I was... I will say that the, the uh, mental version is much better against Chalice decks because you, yeah. you don't need your spells to resolve because they just kill them with monks and stuff. So I beat a lot of Eldrazi with that deck, which is nice. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still I'm still very interested. In I think Dark Confident could be an insane addition to it, and that's like the next thing I want to play with. Because in the mentor think, build. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because it did feel like because you're playing well. At the time, I was also only playing like two pedals in Grixis, and now we've gone to three, and it's it's fantastic. But at the time, it felt like there was a lot more air in the Esper version as well, and a lot more fast mana. So you were kind of like churning through your cards really fast to get these monk triggers, and then if you didn't talk back cantrip, sometimes you just fall too far behind. So I think, yeah, there's a lot of potential yeah. there. Well, what I was going to say was like we went. I noticed Mentor Pedal Preordain was like an insane play. And now I just want to put Lotus Petals in all of my Mentor decks. I don't know about <laughs> yeah. the Phoenix part. You know? Or even like, I mean, I, I'm not sure what the build was, but like being able to go, uh, you know, Petal, Ritual, Swamp, you know, uh, putting putting uh, the Mentor into play and then casting Cabal Therapy and flashing back Cabal Therapy seems amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's yeah. an awesome play. Yeah. <laughs> there's, nothing, there's nothing like it. <laughs> so um, the, the Mentor was also like more payoffs for Dark Ritual. Yeah. So it, it really adds to that. I think... Actually, I think the second match I ever played, I had an opening hand of like Petal Petal, Dark Ritual, Mentor, Therapy, Therapy, Land. It's like, wow, this is this is quite something. Yeah. My favorite was the mid-combat Dark Ritual when people think that you don't oh, have anything you. and then you just like <laughs> pump your whole team and make an extra blocker. Um, so uh, from there, the next thing that we saw a lot of was Tombstalker. Um, and that, that, that I think is still being played a little bit by some people who picked up the deck. I, I haven't found it to be as impactful as I would like. Um, I don't know if you've, yeah. if you've, if you've tried the Tomb Stalker. Yeah, right yeah. now, we're, the latest build, which we're going to have in the show notes, has Dark Confidant, yeah. and I think that's been great. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's been a real step up as well. As, so yeah, Tomb Stalker, I was really happy with. I played it. So I played the deck in our London monthly event uh, a couple of weeks ago as well, and it was great. Swiss 4-0 into double ID into top 8 as top seed. And then uh, my very good friend Francis... He squeezed into the top eight in eighth place on Elves, which is the only tough matchup in the top eight. And things very quickly fell apart, and I got crate hoofed very fast. Yeah. But in that one, I was playing the Tombstalkers as well. And it was absolutely insane for me. I played against a bunch of control, where game one, they either saw Tombstalk or Young Pyromancer. And they, I had one guy side out Baleful Strixes and then died to Tombstalkers. And another one, not bringing any sweepers, then died to Young Pyromancer with Strix in play. I, I want to go back to the to the elves matchup. What about this matchup is 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 uh, unfavorable? Oh uh, yeah, so it's it's winnable. It's not too bad. You just need to have fast and very disruptive hands. The one of the key weaknesses of this deck I found is top decks, and that's not to say that 
you're unfavored against decks that get lucky. Elves is an incredibly consistent deck and has so many powerful top decks being, well, Visionary and Symbiote Engine, the Gimps Chains, which completely undoes all your discard and uh, obviously Natural Order because the deck doesn't play any counter magic, so it's all hand-based. Like, so you're, you're trying to disrupt them there and then put them on a clock so that they have, they have very few draw steps to get out of it, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, so in this quarterfinal match, I thought seized a Natural Order and then the Thoughtseize bug came into play and there was a natural order on top of the library. And uh, yeah, that's not to say that Elves gets lucky in the matchup. It's just how their deck is built. So that's what I, that's what I found tricky with the matchup. You can't... They, they, also have a, they also have a four mana haste destroy you play. <laughs> so it doesn't yeah, matter who yes. gets it. I mean, that yeah, is, that is yeah. the, the like classic, you know, dis, uh, discard versus counter magic like conundrum is you can remove every card from your opponent's hand. They still get to continue drawing cards. Uh, exactly. And and that can just end the game for you. Yeah. So I think I think I started like O three against the deck. I played against some very good players in leagues as well. But I was pretty down about the matchup and then losing this uh, quarterfinals here. I lost pretty bad, like a very quick O two. I was pretty down about it. So in this last challenge, I put two engineer plagues in my sideboard because I was kind of sick of it. But <laughs> that's a bit brutal, I think. But um. Yeah. So. Oh, are you, actually, I read your note. It was like you could take the engineered plagues out when I played the deck last night, and I played against yeah. elves. <laughs> I, I won. I won because the player yeah. had, was playing it for like the second time ever. But okay. you know, it was still yeah. funny because I was like, he like goes, he goes like four is elvish mystic, and I'm like, you got to be oh. kidding. Like yeah. that's like the one thing. Ah, you won't play against elves. You could take those yeah. out. <laughs> I, I then played against Francis at our weekly. Uh, like straight after the Sunday of the top eight thing on a Tuesday weekly night and I think I had game one I had turn one combo and game two I had turn one ritual Liliana last hope so you, you can win the match that we should have to do that every time right. exactly yeah um so yeah. we're oh, on this dark confidant build is and you've mentioned dark confidant a few times throughout the development of this deck it seems like a card you're coming back to a lot one thing yes. that I think you know, people probably looked at the show notes by now, but we mentioned it, is that this deck is, is yes, we have 12 blue cards or 12 cantrips, but we're not running a lot of counter magic. We're running two to maybe three, and it's usually a day, days or spell fears. There's no force of will anywhere. Yeah. And we are a discard deck, and Dark Confidant, I think, works well with that just because you have, it gives you more discard in a yeah. way if you, really need to, if you really need disruption. I completely agree. Like, the power of this combo is because it's from very low resources as well. It's really just two cards and and one other spell, which could be a cantrip or whatever. Like you can just do it off two mana and a, and a cantrip and a card in hand. It's very very low resources, but you because of the nature of discard, you're like trading one for one with your opponent. Or therapy sometimes hits extras. Or therapy therapy sometimes misses. So you you are hemorrhaging some card disadvantages with lotus petals and dire rituals as well. So I will admit, so dark confident was not my idea really and i think someone suggested it on the source and i kind of mulled over it and then passed it along just thinking it seemed a bit slow to me a bit clunky and then bob Huang actually suggested it uh maybe a month ago and i kind of brushed it off and for the same reasoning but i think as i've started to understand the more the deck more and as especially importantly other people know the deck more they know how to like kind of play against it and stuff and now the card advantage is mattering more that the people understand what they should be countering and stuff. Yeah. So that's part of it. So the thing is, I, I hadn't played Dark Confident at all until the challenge. I just put three in there. My gut said you should play two. And I kind of thought these for the third one, which is heresy. 
the, the fourth fourth seed should go back in. So oh, I think want, so? Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah. Um, you, could, you could cut a Lightning Bolt or a Daze or a Pyromancer or a Dark Confident, but there should be fourth fourth seeds in the deck. But yeah, he completely overperformed in the uh, challenge. Like, I played against Depth three times, which I think is our hardest matchup. And off the back of Dark Confident, like getting me back cards and finding me the combos quickly, I was able to beat all of them. Yeah. So I think um, going forward, we'll probably see Dark Confident as like, I hesitate to say a staple of the deck, but I think we'll see him over Tombstalker. Although Tombstalker was still very good. I think there's a lot of merit to it. He really helps the Delver matchup, especially just like blocking Delvers and being hard to interact with. But yeah, sorry, yeah. I'm looking for the secret with the first person mentioned Dark Confident on the source. I shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> I um, think it was uh, an Italian person, Talpa, maybe. Um, yeah, and I, I just, uh, the thing is, like, this deck operates, you know, in that, like, we're trading one for one until we, we win, or we, but it's like, we also have the ability to win early, uh, sort of like a storm, somewhere between storm and, like, almost like a Jun deck, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. where you just build an overwhelming board advantage. Because the interesting thing about, um, you know, if, if, if theoretically the Dark Ritual Buried Alive is two cards, but then you end up with three on, in play, and they're attacking creatures or blocking creatures and stuff like that. <clears throat> Yeah, the other thing one, that, of the, one of the only criticisms of the deck was, oh, but if someone sorts to plash as your Phoenix, it's gone on forever. And I was like, yeah, but they're using a card, and there's still two more Phoenixes. <laughs> it's, it's fine. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think that where, where a lot of people have been hung up too, and where I admittedly was hung up was like, well, what happens if things this thing's in your hand? And not only does that you know not always happen with all the card movement, but <laughs> you know you can brainstorm them back or push them to the bottom with preordain. Uh, but you therapy yourself for Phoenix. I want to say. Jeez, it's a it's a higher it's percentage a than I think people oh, yeah. think. It's yeah. it's a lot. There are there are a lot of games where you actively are trying to cantrip into the phoenixes to kind of therapy yourself because you have a therapy kind of sitting around. And I will admit this is not an interaction I can even considered when I first built the deck. It just kind of came up in a game where I had a dark ritual, two therapies, and two phoenixes in my hand. I think this actually happened on the uh, SCG as well against Adam on elves, where it, I kind of like saw the line as wow, this is. This is not bad. <laughs> it's it's yeah, still right. six power attacking on turn one, and you've therapied them. And then the therapies you can flash back again as well. Is yeah. So yeah, therapying them. I think one of the, the fun things is therapying them for you know whatever surgical extraction or forcible or whatever it is, and yeah. then then you therapy yourself, and you can you can always <laughs> feel your opponent just be like, oh. <laughs> yeah. you know, and they know what's about to happen. They're like resolves. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I've had a, all... a couple of times come up online where I I have the read that they have a force of will, but online nobody ever checks who you're targeting. So I just target myself with the first therapy to get it resolved. Then I therapy them for like a removal spell. Then yeah. the phoenixes come back at the beginning of combat, so they're kind of screwed. Yeah. Um. Cool. Zach, did you want to jump in, or we want to talk about some matchup? analysis here um well i so we're, we're a bit past this part of the of the uh of the intro to the deck but i did want to sort of jump back real fast to talk about uh buried alive as a card um callum i don't know how long you've been playing for but I, i've been playing long enough that uh I, I saw competitive play with buried alive when it first came out in uh what was it uh weatherlight weatherlight yeah yeah uh the deck the deck was uh ashen ghoul Nether Spirit, and uh, you played uh, uh, what's called Bad Moon and stuff, and you just like got a little bit of value every turn off of off of these cards. I don't know that deck at all. That sounds wonderful, though. 
Yeah, it was like, you know, you same thing, same thing. You turn one uh, dark ritual buried alive. You got like three ashen ghouls and you just like got them into play over the course of a couple of turns. And that's and, the Icarid, isn't it? Like, the, it's like an Icarid type card. Exactly. It's a, yeah, it yeah. is actually you also pay, a three you pay one face. mana instead of like, uh, yeah, uh, right, right, yeah. something. Sweet. But, yeah, that was the big the big uh, thing back in the day. Is like that was really good against the blue decks of the. That's time. Ice Age Mirage Standard. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. That I was no like idea. Way Ice back. Age Mirage Standard. It's uh, Ashley Gold was an Ice Age, and uh, Weatherlight was less than Mirage Block. Yeah. Probably 1996, 97. Yeah, that, that was a bit before my time. I, I I think I started around like Tempest and stuff, like very very young. But I was about ten then or something. I just remember buying packs and opening a Lotus Petal and thinking. This is a land that kills itself. This is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. <laughs> now we're talking about how it's broken. But yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to just go pretty quickly through some to sort of give people an idea of where this sits in the metagame as a deck. Um, and I'm just going to basically, we'll just do essentially a word association here. Let me call up my list of uh, top decks in the format. Um, but let's start with uh, Grixis Control. I think this is one of the deck's best matchups. Yeah, and I completely I'm, agree. Yeah. I think uh, this deck just slaughters it. The, the only times I think you can lose sometimes is if they thought he's a phoenix and have the surgical. Otherwise, yeah. if you if you're playing if you know like how to tiptoe around the things, you shouldn't be getting phoenix and surgical, and they just cannot deal with it. Yep. Yeah. Grixis like, you know, Delver. Delver is oh, a lot sorry. harder. It is no, a lot harder. Yeah. Um, I think this is where the the lightning bolts are super important to have in the deck for Delver specifically because. How you lose is pressure plus their like soft counters being live and wasteland. Yeah, the tempo so, the tempo here seems like it's pretty relevant. Yeah, so Lotus Petal, really tough. Like, yeah. is, is a huge addition to the deck, which has not always been there, which helps the matchup a lot. But yeah, when you're getting wasted and dazed and pierced and all the all the Delva stuff, that can be hard. So <clears throat> actually, a really key like I the way I approach the matchup, I think some people ask me questions saying how to deal with this matchup. I find it really hard. And I can always prioritize taking their threats with a discard. Because if you can dictate the pace of the game, then if, yeah. So if you like thought sees them and see Force of Will, Spell Pierce, Surgical Extraction, but they have one or two threats, just snap off the, the Delver or the Gurmagangler or the Young Pyromancer. They then need to use their cantrips to find another threat while you can sculpt to beat their disruption. And if you're dictating that pace of the game, then you should be, be able to come out ahead fine. Because right. you're the one, you're the one with the information of their hand, basically. How about miracles? Miracles, I think, is another favorable one. But it's much harder than Grixis control because of counterbalance. I think. I feel like when you lose to miracles, it's just because of counterbalance, almost always, or you have like a slow hand. I suppose terminus is probably not great either. Kind of. You don't have to extend very much. Like you do the combo. Yeah, and then they terminus you, and then you just buried alive again because they're back in the deck. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I I find miracles to be a, a a pretty favorable matchup. I think that this is one of those times. If you like get sometimes with this deck, I feel like you can. It, it's got that storm aspect where like sometimes you just can't find the cards you need in time. Yeah. Um, but miracles is so dirtily these days, especially that uh, you have the time. The pro, the very proactive play, yeah. and also I think eight discard spells is great against them. Yeah. So yeah. Definitely. So, yeah. I, I think it's also very, like, the power of this deck, I guess this is a more general comment, but the deck is so hard to sideboard against. I was talking with some friends today, and they were asking how to sideboard against it as miracles, and I said, I genuinely am not sure. It's, I, I don't know. 
I was thinking like you kind of want a council judgment to hedge against Liliana the Last Hope, but it's just terrible against the rest of the deck. You kind of want Source of Plowshares because you have to deal with Dark Confident. It's not good against the combo and it's not great against a young Pyromancer if she's stuck around for a bit. You kind of, you don't want Force of Wills because the discard makes it so bad, but then you die to turn one combos. You want Surgical Extraction, but it's not good against Young Pyromancer or Liliana or Dark Confident. Like everything is situationally good and yeah. the discard can just like pinpoint and take the things, like, the things that you're weak to and yeah, it's pretty brutal. Um, do you want to talk about, should we group all Chalice decks together, or do you think there's a significant difference between the way Loam, Red Prison, and Eldrazi play? The, I guess with some... Loam is sort of different. Yeah, I think Eldrazi is the hardest one by quite a lot, actually. Like, their Fast Clock is, yeah, and, and, and Wastelands, is and Thought Not. And oh, yeah, I mean, like... it's Chalice and Thought Not, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think I found this is actually the main reason I'm playing Goblin Crater Makers. Because yeah. they they get to kill Thought Knots and Smashes and Embering has been horrible to play against because it kills all your it stops the Phoenixes from attacking, it kills your Empyromancers and stuff. So I don't know. So yeah, Goblin Creator Makers are basically just for Eldrazi because I found that that one's so hard. And they have ley lines as well, fairy macabres. So my general sideboarding plans against Chalice decks are to take out all the discard on the draw and have some thought seasons on the play. But if they're playing Fairy Macabres instead of Ley Lines, then you kind of need some therapies in the deck as well to clear the way for that, because you generally have to win with the combo. So, yeah, it, it's very hard to say what against Chalice decks in general as well like that. With, with Chalice usually comes Ley Line too. Do you board an Echoing Truth? Yeah, so I'll be boarding all the kind of the two mana cost answer cards. So Goblin Crater Maker comes in against all Chalice decks, Echoing Truth, um, Abrades, I think... Uh, there's an EE now, but yeah, that kind of thing. So um, I think Echoing Truth is an incredible card in this, in this deck sideboard because the, the hate can be pretty diverse. Like I've played against a bunch of Torment scripts and Nihil spell bombs and stuff as well. And it just is a very good catch-all and it's so good with Cabal Therapy. So if you kind of misjudge a matchup and they have spell-based hate and you have an Echoing Truth, if they have any permanent, you can still Echoing Truth it and Therapy it or, or Thought Seize it. So it's just... Best um, What about show and tell? Sneak and show? That's, I think it's about even. Maybe slightly unfavored for us. Like, they, they have their nut, their nut draws beat our nut draws, essentially, is the problem. And, do, you keep uh, the, do you keep the full combo in against them? Yeah, so this is, I'm not sure, but I, I tend to trim on combo pieces versus them because they have, like, two or three flusters and spell pieces main and stuff. Yeah. So they're, they're able to interact with our combo hands much more so against them i just completely prioritize discard 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 try and get like a young pyromancer going and yeah. then you generally have to then fade like a couple of draw steps while while you attack them down so i always feel like show and tell is a more impactful three mana sorcery and i and i trim down combo pieces quite a bit in terms of yeah. in, in favor of more interaction because i think you can win with yeah. your other creatures, or even just like a hard cast phoenix, if you end up you know running out of stuff to take out, but yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree. That's that's how I approach it as well. You kind of yeah, they are the more powerful deck. You have to respect it, so you have to just play control as best you can. And then yeah, as I said, it usually comes down to they have two or three turns tops to kind of draw into the combo, and then you just hope they don't. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about Reanimator? Uh, Reanimator, I think, is very good actually. Game one is very tough again. You can like turn one them 
and like if you get the combo quickly and you t turn off the reanimates, it can be good and daze helps a lot. But post sideboard Tormod's Crypt is just a house. Yeah. So right, you've been a real proponent of the four Tormod's Crypt sideboard. Yeah. I, I resisted, but I <laughs> I was wrong. I <laughs> played a I'm league with it and I was like, oh god, this is insane. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. it looks so innocent and like it just doesn't look very powerful. But so this is by far the most asked about card. Every single time someone sees the deck, they just say, well, what about surgical extraction? And it's it's a fair question because it does look kind of weird because surgical is such a commonly accepted cyborg card because the, because of the power of black red reanimator especially like you people say you need to have turn zero interaction but the problem with turn zero interaction is surgical is reactive so this deck plays very little counter magic so you can't really protect your hand from anything so every single graveyard based deck is playing discard as well so reanimator has unmasks and their own therapies dredge has therapy they're all going to see your hand before going it because everyone plays surgical. So we have what, like two days and two spell pistols to try and protect the surgical. So I really want something proactive to play. So Tormod Script is just, it's been phenomenal. And yeah, I keep telling people to play it and play it. And every single person that plays it enough comes back and says, yeah, it's, it's overperformed. And I think you, it, you it, said, it, sorry, go on. Oh no, what I was going to say was it, the fact that it, there are, it's got, more utility than I thought. Where I think that, I think surgical in this in this particular deck, you don't always need something like surgical that's going to pick off a snapcaster target. You know, you yeah. can usually just like you can play this, which is proactive and like like you always say, you can cantrip into it on turn one if you're on the play, and then have it out instead of having to have it in your hand and have it get discarded. Um, and then, like, not that you always, not that you would always bring in Surgical or Tormod's Crypt against a deck like Miracles or Grixis Control, but you know, if for some reason there's something in someone's build that you really want to hit with it, it's it's pretty much as effective because of the the nature of our deck having the the Phoenix combo to yeah. close the game out very fast. Same thing with like something like Lands. Oh, it's great to pick off their loams. How about we just clear out their graveyard and win the next turn? Yeah, exactly. So if, yeah. if they draw another loam, then all the lands are gone as well. Yeah. It, like it, it, they're not, yeah. not going to be dredging for nine turns in a row. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, what about uh, Death Shadow? Shadow is it's very like Delver. I think it's a bit easier than Grix Delver because they have, like, you just kill them out of nowhere. So they're, obviously their life total goes lower. So I think it's a bit easier than Delver, but they can still do the same Thoughtseize, Days, Wasteland, you quick clock thing. So I yeah. think I think it's pretty much the same as Bricks of Silver, just a little bit easier. They could force your, uh, or, uh, I guess they can't force. No, I was they could reanimate your uh, Arclay Phoenixes. Oh, I, I've had that happen. <laughs> and then I, <laughs> they reanimated my Phoenix. I comboed. They traded off, and I just cast some spells, and that one came back again as well. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll we'll save Storm for the end because we have a surprise. But yeah, um, great. Uh, we, and then we did talk a little bit about sideboarding. Uh, you mentioned Tormod's Crypt. You mentioned Goblin Crater Maker. Right now we've got two Crater Makers, two of Braids. Do you think that that's the, a necessary split? Or do you think that four of... I, I thought Crater Maker was, was very good for the reasons you said against Eldrazi. Just whacking a Reality Smasher out of nowhere. Well, not out of nowhere, but you know people don't realize. <laughs> people yeah. play into it and don't realize. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, the sideboard is... I think much more than the main deck still to be worked on. Like I'm not confident in most of the choices. I think you do want a high density of like chalice answers and stuff because these are the decks that give you a hard time. Yeah. Like it, it is still a deck with a lot of one drops. And so 
Yeah, there's like notably, them. notably, uh, Ibrate is, I want to say, better to bring in against Delver than Crater Maker feels because it's not sorcery speed. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you can, you know, if you want, if you want that extra removal piece, it's a little bit better. Yeah, definitely. I've seen Delvers play Grafdigger's Cages a bunch recently as well. So it kind of kills kills the the tome on Delver, which you're kind of afraid of, and it hedges against Grafdigger's Cage. So I like a braid against Delver a lot. Crater Maker is just a bit too mopey. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's slow, but it's very versatile. It's excellent against DMT as well. It kind of gets under Thalia. It kills their vile equipment. It gets under Prelate on two. If, because they sometimes play chalices, so if they get a chalice on one and a prelate on two, it's very hard to kind of get out from that. So oh, you know what? We didn't. I don't think we mentioned death and taxes, but that was right. Oh, yeah. Sanctum prelate has a oh that's yeah. a nightmare. That card's yeah. annoying. <laughs> very yeah. annoying. So D the general game plan is you just try and kill them as fast as possible. You you can play a longer game versus them. You have the tools. Dark Confident really helped it, but against them, I'm, I'm just looking to have Lotus Petal and Dark Rituals in my opening hand, basically. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, well, Zach, anything you wanted to add? Uh, this has been a pretty detailed breakdown of the deck. Yeah, no, I, I, like, I, I think, think uh, I stop? think I think you guys did a pretty good job of, of of explaining what's going on. I'm kind of along for the ride on this one. Uh, Callum, what do you think is the next step? What do you think? Uh, you know, do you think that we're gonna just kind of be sitting on this dark confidant build for a while? Is there anything that you're planning to test that you want to talk about? Um, yeah, I think the deck is still not even its best form yet i think i think the shell is pretty much set in stone like the the rituals uh buried lives and the 12 cantrips and the eight discard after that i think you you basically said at the beginning it's all open to being flex i think the young pyromancers are pretty much proven and the lowest petals are kind of proven as well and some number of lightning bolts but then after that the days is a pretty high variance i've had the same person come back and say you, it's a mistake to play less than four because it's so busted in the deck. And I've had someone say, I've lost because it's a terrible topic later in the game. Days is, I'm still not sure on. Like, there's a lot of, there's about yeah, six or seven flex slots currently where it, it could be anything. And I think also, as we were saying before, Dark Confident could be insane in Esper. I think yeah. the, the deck, this, the Esper build has a much higher power level and there could well be something there. So I'm kind of excited that this deck is broken out as to, so to say because maybe some better players now will break it even more well so, yeah. i i'm 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 planning to keep working on it in the next few weeks here leading up to syracuse um, awesome yeah I, I i'm probably gonna play this unless you know something else really goes crazy but uh you know i just yeah. it's it's it is a resonant card being played with other resonant cards i love cabal yeah. therapy i love dark confidence oh. yeah <laughs> i love buried alive <laughs> yeah so. Th- therapy is my favorite card in the game so yeah i'm glad it's coming back but as you say, I think I think Dark Confident will be good enough to stick around. Like, as I said, my sample size is literally the challenge on Sunday, so uh, ten matches or something. So it was very very impressive. So I it also gives you had the the best. Uh, wait, let me double check this. I think you had the best win percentage in the top eight. Yes, you did. You had an 80, 80 win percentage in the top <laughs> eight. Was, um, oh yeah, the guy I, who he did better than the guy who went seven and zero. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I actually have a breakdown somewhere of my matchups, if you want. Yeah. Oh, I saw it on the source. That was. Oh, Francis, yeah. Oh, you, oh you know what? We didn't talk about this. I do want to quickly. You, you, Dark Depths was like the big bugaboo when we yeah. started working on the deck. And you beat it three times in the challenge. I How did that? Yeah. Uh, praise Bob. Praise Dark Confident. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So when, uh, 
uh, match one was against Turbo Jets, and they were on the play, and they went like Urborg, duress you. I was like, for fuck's sake. Sorry, is this PG-13? No, uh, we're good. Fine. We're good. Cool. Okay. I was like, <laughs> uh, here we go. I'm just going to lose the first one. And I was kind of, I wasn't actually in the mood to play the challenge. I just, I signed up last minute. I, the thoughts he's cut was because I couldn't decide. And I was like, ah, screw it. I'm going to play with this. So, Herbal Duress. I was like, here we go. And then I think they took something that I just drew the next turn. I comboed turn one and killed them. And then went from there. And then... The last two rounds of the Swiss were both against depth as well. So they were both like, I needed to win both of them. So I lost to Blue Red Delver earlier in it. And uh, yeah, I just 2 0 both. I was just running hot. Like I had a lot yeah. of turn one combos. Oh, God, we've gone through so much. Uh, Alpine Moon, Pithic Beetle. Oh, God. Sower of Temptation. Here's here's <laughs> the one I, I, I was zipping my mouth the entire week leading up to this so I could drop it on you without you <laughs> just get your initial reaction. The card encroach. Has oh, I love it. Oh, my God. <laughs> encroach. Yeah, just to encroach that dark depth. And uh, because, you know, hey, we're a discard deck, and discard does not interact with lands except for literally just encroach. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not the first time encroach has been mentioned on this podcast. <laughs> right. I love that card. Yeah. Um, Tom Hepp, who's in the gate of 77 on Magic Online, he's saying he wants to try encroach in depths just for yeah. fun. Because it's a sweet oh. I, I wonder if I've lost 20 games to him yet. I bet I have. Oh, <laughs> he's, he's just always has it, and, he, and it's always... Oh, uh, I've, I've, won one, I've won one game with Phoenix against him. Yeah. I think he said he's lost one match to Phoenix total so far. So, so there we go. Well, you know what's funny, too? I don't know if, how, how long you've listened to it. Oh, I, I, I encountered you first because you had said you would listen to a Lavinia episode and you really liked it, and I thought that was yeah. really exciting. That someone really got what we're going for. So I don't know how long it's been the cast, but my quest to get a 5 0 at MTGO over the past two years, which finally ended the other day. Yeah. But awesome. I played every every match I play, or every league I played with with this Phoenix deck, I have played against at least one depth deck. It, it is everywhere <laughs> online. It's... Yeah, it's very popular. And it's just like, I mean, it's funny because I've, I've gone 4 1 with it, and the, my loss was to yeah. the, de- the like, literal worst matchup, but. Um, th- luckily the monkey's off my back, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've yeah, played it a lot. So, I think there was when I was uh, if, when I was like reporting a league to to Pete, who I was like first building the, the thing with. I kind of we kind of started saying to each other, uh, I played against depths in the league, and that meant a four one basically, because <laughs> the deck right. was the deck was so good at the beginning that we were kind of beating everything else because people had no idea what to do against it, which was fair enough. But then yeah, four four one just meant we played against depths. But. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was the bogeyman. And Alpine Moon was like, it's it's so narrow. It's a terrible card. And everyone's telling me it's a terrible card. But Well, the worst part about it is, even if you put it on Dark Depth, they can decay it and win immediately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. So, yeah, that was one of the things that people said was a problem with it. But if you break down every card you can combat Depths with, they can they can answer it in one way. If they can discard it from your hand, they can, if it's a land like a Caracas, they can wasteland it. If it's a permanent, they can abrupt decay or assassin's trophy. Nothing is safe. Nothing is sacred. Yeah. But they play less abrupt decays and assassin's trophies than discard, and and tutors for wastelands. And they they can't tutor for any of these cards. And they have very little kind of filtering. It's just a bug that has brainstorm. So you can just discard a decay and then play an alpine moon. I think one of my very first five votes of the deck was I played against uh, depths twice and I had alpine moon and they won like a majority of the cyborg games. Yeah. So it's narrow, but it did the job. Great. But yeah. Well, 
let's call it there. Let me tell you something, brother. You're here listening to this Eternal Dirtles podcast, but what you need to do is go over to Eternal Dirtles Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Eternal Dirtles, and show your support, brother. Yeah. All right, so we've got a real treat now. Uh, joining us and a Callum is Cyrus Corman Gill. Uh, let's see. Where should we start with your accolades, Cyrus? <laughs> let's say Star City, Star City Games Open Champion, Eternal Weekend Finalist, Vintage Super League Competitor, and most recently, winner of the MTGO Challenge. Purveyor of Lion's Eye Diamond. Yeah, Master of Skulls. Yeah, I think all of those things have happened since the last time you all had me on the cast, which was funny because I remember the last time I came on, I had a lot of people saying, oh, well, you're just not enjoying Legacy because you're not winning a lot. So I decided to just never lose ever again so people couldn't <laughs> say that. <laughs> so the reason we, we we brought you in is because you played against uh, Callum in the finals of that, um, of that challenge, which was uh, just the other day as we're recording. And it was funny because I follow you both on Twitter and I was watching you both separately. And then I forget if you said something about Phoenixes or, Cy or Callum said something about Storm. But I was like, I bet they're playing each other right now. <laughs> and uh, it turned out that was the case. Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty cool to be in the finals against Callum. I, you know, you never want to have to play against your friend in the finals. But it was also nice because I know we both defeated evil chalice decks along the way so I, I would have been happy for either one of us to win so yeah exactly my thought like as we were going to the top eight i was just hoping we don't play until the final yeah i was unfortunately had to play against another one of my friends in the quarterfinals and i was like okay well at least maybe i won't meet callum to the finals good yeah. news for both of you i'll probably never get to the top eight of one of those that was <laughs> my first top eight i have i have played about 20 of them and scrubbed out of every single one basically yeah. Yes, and assume, assuming I'm considered a friend, I don't think you'll ever have to worry about playing me at that high of a level. <laughs> you never We're all know. friends here. <laughs> so yeah. Callum, you, it's interesting because Callum's on a range of decks. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, I don't know if, if exactly Cyrus knew what you were playing, but you definitely knew Cyrus was playing Storm. And given what we've talked about so far with the deck, what were you thinking when you got paired against him in terms of your um, mulliganing decisions and your hand evaluation knowing that you're playing against a Storm player in this moment. Yeah, so I, I totally knew that we both know what we're doing, and we were both, I knew that he's going to know what I'm on, obviously, because I posted the list in the chat we're in earlier, and I know his, his list and everything. So I was definitely mulliganing as if I knew it was Storm. I knew that he would be mulliganing as if, and playing as if he knew what I was on. So yeah, it totally does like change uh, mulligan decisions. I knew that I needed to have a fast hand. I know the matchup pretty well, and I have a, a whole game plan in my head so i wanted to try and execute that game one is very very hard you usually just lose to pass the flames mm -hmm. and post sideboard i have a game plan of attacking them with their life fiddle like by getting a quick combo so they can't add nauseam and tormod's crypts to shut off passing flames so if i can get my combo off and have a tormod's crypt in play it's usually game but wasn't quite able to do that and i knew you... the uh, the dice roll was going to be super important Right, and you were on the play? Is that what I, I look at the standings? I think you were on the play. So this is the thing with Magic Online. They, the top eights are just random. There's no. Oh. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I did not know that. No, no, it's okay. It's a, uh, it's a thing that a lot of people have a problem with, but I've kind of accepted it at this point. But yeah, it's, it can be a bit frustrating. But yeah, the top eight is just 
brand new dice rolls as if it's Swiss. So Cyrus will uh, won the dice roll. Okay, so, and quite important. So Cyrus, you you knew that this deck, what this deck is bringing in terms of disruption. Um, what were you thinking? In were you thinking that I've won the die roll? My goal is to be fast, or I can grind it out with Pass and Flames. What were you thinking about in terms of your hands? So with Storm, it's kind of weird because I, I actually I did know Callum's exact 75 because he had uh, you know about an hour before sent it to a chat that we're in, and so I had it up in front of me. And uh, the thing is, is that you can look at a deck on paper and not really know how the matches play out. So like. I had actually never played against this Phoenix deck in Legacy before. I've been playing mostly Modern and Vintage uh, the last couple months, and I, I, I'm experienced with the Phoenix decks in other formats, but this was just a whole different thing with Buried Alive and stuff. So uh, it's kind of like, if you look at Delver, it looks like Storm could never beat that deck because they have a million counterspells and a fast clock and stuff. And looking at this Phoenix deck, it has a lot of different like two-ofs and, and three-ofs and stuff, it felt like, and I wasn't exactly sure what to expect, but... I messaged some of my friends that play Storm, and I said, hey, what is this matchup like? And what what they kind of said to me is it's a lot, it, it, at least in this specific matchup, it's a lot like playing the Storm Mirror, but your opponent has a bunch of Mirror Breaker Haymakers like uh, Dark Confidant and Young, Young Cryomancer kind of, but but the downside is that they're forced to empty the Warrens every time. So uh, I knew that I just... The game can play out in so many different ways as it does in the Storm Mirror. So sometimes you can just get like turn one with discard backup, or sometimes the game ends on turn ten, and it's really hard to evaluate what your hand trips and how you can what kind of hands you can keep because you don't know the context of your opponent's hand when you're trying to formulate a game plan. So Kellen might have a slow dark confident young pyromancer hand with a lot of thought seizes, or he might have like a turn one dark ritual ponder whatever lotus petal buried alive. Yeah, right. Um, and I, and I, so I don't really know. But thankfully, uh, the nice thing about Storm is that you are a very proactive deck. And I had a, I, I had a very proactive turn one in that game with that. You're, we're kind of joking. The die roll ended up mattering a lot because I think in that game we actually both had essentially turn one kills. Callum had a turn one with Cabal Therapy backup, so he got to yeah. double. He would have gotten to double therapy me and put three Phoenixes into play, and I was able to actually just turn one kill. And that, that is what's nice mm. about Storm compared to other combo decks is. When you execute your combo, you do tend to just win the game that turn. Uh, and so I, I didn't give him a chance to to do his thing. People who follow you on Twitter, Callum, would have seen your screenshot. I don't know how many people looked at your hand, but it was insane. Yeah, my hand was absolutely ridiculous as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when I lost uh, the dice roll, I was like, this was, this is insane. I'm, I'm, I felt very confident I was going to win the game. Please give me a turn. Please give me a All I need to do is have a turn. Yeah. By the way, Cyrus, quick correction. Uh, we played, and I was playing the, the Esper Phoenix deck. So not the exact deck. But we did play, and you beat me. That's the only time I've lost a storm with this with this Phoenix Spirit. Oh yeah, I think you just didn't like cast any spells, though, right? Is what it felt, or it just felt like you didn't really have any threats or anything or something like that. So I remember, yeah, games, games, games one and three, I got kind of cantered into oblivion. Game two, I played a combo, and you scooped in like a millisecond. <laughs> oh yeah, I did not bring in any answer set. I had no idea what cards in your deck. Okay, good good point. I so I played against the Esper Phoenix deck. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I did not remember that, so that's good. No, no, I, I just fun. remember them them all being kind of non games like on both sides. Yeah. Right. If I recall correctly, like, yeah, I just, like, ended up, I, like, thought teased you a bunch, then you passed in Flames in Game 1. In Game 2, I played, like, land, 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 pedal, comball, and you scooped, and in Game 3, I just lost. So, yeah. Anyway, um, so Cyrus has a turn one kill in Game 1. What happened in Game 2? I think, actually, I want to just talk a bit more about the Game oh, sure. 1, because it, it sure. wasn't yeah. just, he, he didn't have a, like, a easy turn one kill. I watched the replay. 
I think it's very, very easy to take away that he ponder shuffled and got an infernal tutor exactly what he needed to kill me off it. And I think it's very easy to look at that and think he got very lucky. But I'm pretty sure myself included would have lost that game. And I think a huge majority of people would. Because I watched back, he went island, ponder, shuffle, lotus petal, ponder. And then your hand at that point was two dark rituals and one other thing I can't remember. Uh, Lions of Diamond for sure. Yes, yeah. And then on top was a preordain and a ponder. So you're kind of insulated against a thought seize or a, or a cabal therapy. You have like cantrips to carry on the next turns, but you went for it and shuffled and got the tutor. So I think I think a majority of people would have kept that second ponder and lost. So. Yeah, I, I knew that. So the thing is, is I knew Callum was playing uh, therapies and, and days. And so the reason I wasn't, and, and also dark confidant. So the reason I wasn't super comfortable just trying to keep cantripping is that my hand at that point is pretty weak to both therapy and and days. So if he has any of his like six piece, I think you play four therapy, yeah. two days. If you have like yeah. those six pieces disruptions, pretty bad. And also I'm not necessarily super well equipped to play a grindy matchup because if we're going to do like the grindy top deck thing, uh, yes. he's kind of pre-boarded for that with dark confidants and having a plan of just attacking me where I just, I, when I'm trying to grind, I just sit there and hope I draw the right cards or cantrip a little bit, but I can't discard threats that are on the table. So um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so I, I decided that it didn't really get better for me and I need to ponder shuffle. So yeah, it was pretty exciting. I went island ponder. Yeah. I think I saw one cantrip I said that wasn't good enough. Maybe it was just, I think maybe it was just, it was not a cantrip, but I shuffled yeah. that and then hit another ponder off of that. So then I was able to go lotus petal ponder. Um, and and I saw that hand of like the two cantrips in a discard spell and I decided uh, I just needed to, to really try to win this turn. So I shuffled again and, and eight looks I found a, a six of. Uh, yeah. And then was able to go pedal Dark Ritual, uh, Dark Ritual, Lions of Diamond, Infernal Tutor for tendrils for exactly 20. It was beautiful. It was the exact storm count, no cards left in hand. It was yeah, exact mana. It was awesome. And when you say six yeah. of, you're talking about Dark Petition as a potential out there, too? Yeah, Ad Nauseam would almost certainly win the game, too, if I'm casting oh, Ad Nauseam yeah. from 20 life with three mana floating. Yeah, right. Good. Um, so I actually did not realize how, because I, I just saw the screenshot. I was like, oh, he just had like an awesome hand. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it was it go. was very interesting line actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so what happens in game two, Cal? Let me get your revenge. So I, I had another insane hand. I had another turn one combo with days back up and I think a discard spell to follow the next turn as well. It, and Tormund's crypt. It was like I cantripped into the Tormund's crypt. I had turn one preordain petal that ritual buried alive attack you. He just played land cantrip, I think. Then turn two, I'm attacking him down to two life, and he plays out, and I and I get a Tormund's Crypt off another cantrip, and then he his turn, I think you played like LED LED, then you go for a Cabal Ritual and I have the days for it, and it's just, yeah, my hand was nuts as well. Yeah, I was, I was dead there. I like I didn't even really I didn't ha I did not have a win through the Tormund's yeah. Crypt. My my line in the game too. So I did have a win without Tormund's Crypt. Uh, so, but once you played the Torment script, my line was I needed to Infernal Tutor for Ad Nauseam for two life. And then my Ad Nauseam needed to be my last lines or one of my last two lines of diamonds and a cantrip. And I can't flip any other cards that cost mana. Uh, yeah. And then I need to cantrip, whole priority, crack lines of diamond, find Tendrils of Agony. And that would <laughs> that would have won the game. But <laughs> that, that is uh, a line. <laughs> that, yeah, but days, days certainly yeah. didn't, get to, didn't, didn't get to see if that would happen. Yeah. We asked Callum about his sideboard plan. I forgot to ask you, Cyrus, because we did talk about game two just now. But um, and we know so Callum Tormont's Crypt comes in and yeah, sorry, so, the other card. I forget what it was. 
spell pierce. Spell pierce, yes. Yeah. So I think I bring in two spell pierce and four torment scripts. And what goes out? Uh, three lightning bolts, a basic island. I'm still not sure if it should be basic island or basic swamp. I don't know. But a basic and I think a young pyromancer. Mm-hmm. Are you just bringing in one spell pierce? Uh, it's two. Two spell two. pierce. Yeah. <laughs> I, so. uh, I know that I tend to. This is from the storm side. When I bring in fluster storms and I have to either cut the basic island or basic swamp, I leave the island. Um, yeah. Because it's more important to be able to fetch. Like, you'll want to do like your, your turn one cantrip and then turn two more likely fetch, right? So it's nice to have more blue sources that you can fetch for to cast your fluster. Yeah. With, with this, though, I think my, my deck is basically black with a tiny red splash and a, and a blue splash for cantrips. So I think like all my disruption is really discard based. That makes so, sense, yeah. Yeah, it, it's heavier black than Storm usually, which is weird to say as the skull deck, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cyrus, what did what did you sideboard? Uh, well, there's, well, there's I one. That... I think there's one special spicy card that you brought in, but let's. Oh, yeah. uh, so we'll well, hear I that, saw I guess, Callum side sideboard, and uh, my takeaway from that was that he has not not surgicals, but a million ways to exile my entire graveyard because he has the four Tormod scripts and a bunch of ways to find them. Oh. Uh, and then he also had some spell pierces, but then he also just had a bunch of answers to empty the warrens, and he could just kind of fly over empty the warrens or possibly beat it with young pyromancer, which I think you were playing. And yeah. so I decided to cut dark petition and my second pass in flames because both of those cards are really bad when you don't have a graveyard because one uses your graveyard, one uses uh, spell mastery. So yeah. I cut those two, and then. I decided I didn't actually think Thought Seizes were very good in the matchup because Thought Seizing a Daze isn't necessarily the best plan. Uh, and then, like, Thought Seizing, you don't really want to get into a discard war. So the problem with getting into, like, a discard war where you're both trying to just discard each other's hands and play off the top of your deck is that kind of what I talked about in, in, in game one where Callum has a backup plan of just playing creatures and attacking me. So, like, it's really bad to try to out-discard the opponent who can play Young Pyromancer and play Dark Confidants and hard-cast Phoenixes. And also, notably, there is a chance Thoughtseize could just only be able to take a Phoenix, which I don't think is a real reason to, <laughs> no. to not play it. But it, okay. it was on my mind. Uh, yeah. yeah. The two life is incredibly relevant as well. well so yeah, and that's the most relevant two part is the, two, is the two life. So yeah. I brought in Flusterstorms, and then I debated bringing in Echoing Truth for the Phoenixes and for Tormod Script, but I decided that that was a little bit too clunky uh, if I don't have a Lion's Eye Diamond. And it's pretty likely that Lion's Eye Diamond would be a target for Kelms spells uh, especially since he had that engine explosive so he could destroy it so it might be a hard time for me to get hellbent if i have echoing truth in my deck uh and then i also brought in extirpate which is the kind of weird card i played this week so uh 42 ad on moto martin bonacek has played extirpate for i think like you know 10 years now a decade in storm i think you got uh, it from some italians though <laughs> yeah that's the that's the meme um but it, it extirpate <laughs> is kind of what people used to play before surgical it's a black split second instant which uh search target exile target card from a graveyard and then search that player's library graveyard hand uh for all all copies of that card and notably you can't forget to exile from the graveyard like you can with surgical so uh but it has split second is the relevant part so it trades off phyrexian man on surgical extraction to be split second and that was kind of what our tech was to beat miracles because that deck is such a a turbo xerox deck where it just kind of churns through its deck with cantrips the idea is that if you can eliminate one of the cards that you care about, it would be a lot easier to beat them because they have a very finite number of cards that actually mattered, but a lot of ways to find them. So that's the theory. I haven't actually had it work yet, uh, but 
I think tonight was the first time I'd ever cast the card uh, not in the mirror. So, or not tonight, that the challenge. Well, I think what's interesting about it is I've spell pierced and dazed a lot of surgicals on my phoenixes. And you can't do that to extirpate. Yeah, that <laughs> it's was like the perfect another thought process. Um, it's definitely something that I think uh, matters that you can't counter it. So um, how did that end up playing out in the third game? So it was kind of interesting. I think I turned one discarded Callum and saw a spell pierce, a couple cabal therapies, and some creatures. And I ended up taking the spell pierce with an extirpate in my hand with the plan to be he's probably going to cast extirpate and then he or he's probably going to cast cabal therapy, name something, uh, and then I can extirpate the, the copy out of his graveyard and the one in his hand because extirpate's pretty good against cabal therapy as well. Uh, mm. And that would kind of let me get into a top deck war when I had a lion's eye diamond and I would feel pretty far ahead there. Uh, but then Callum drew a thought seize. <laughs> he was able to thought seize mm -hmm. me. So now he knows my hand for when he casts the Cabal Therapy next turn. And then I have a Dark Ritual, which is the best card in my hand. So it's obviously what he would name with Cabal Therapy. And I draw another Dark Ritual. So I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. I so I had to go Dark Ritual, Duress Cabal Therapy, Extirpate Cabal Therapy, leave myself with one card in hand. And that's a situation where Surgical Extraction would have been, been much better because I wouldn't have yeah. had to Dark Ritual to do it. Uh, so, so when he did this, I was delighted about it like my first reaction was okay well i was gonna therapy for the dark ritual anyway the extirpate yeah i can't counter it but i didn't have any part of the combo yet so like i, was, I have the second therapy in my hand still as well if he wants to extirpate the therapy i'm fine with that because it's probably gonna be naming it anyway so when he dark rituals to then like duress and extirpate i was over the moon but then when i started like to think about it further i was like he cyrus wouldn't make that play so i i eventually got to the realization that he drew dark ritual for his turn so I knew that was in his hand, essentially. Yeah. And what happened then was that, was it just so much, just the case then that you didn't draw a disruption or a combo in Cyrus? I think I think I drew a brainstorm after that, and I brainstormed and I found a Dark Confident and a Lotus Petal. So I had, I also had a Torment Script in play. So I had two options. I could either Engine Explosives to kill his LED and my Torment Script, or I could play Dark Confident. And I knew his hand at that point was the Dark Ritual that I guessed. He had an LED in play, and then one unknown card in hand. So I liked my odds of just playing the Dark Confident and trying to draw some more cards before he got anything going. But he got things going. <laughs> I also notably had shuffled the only Ponder I'd cast. So they were yeah, the yeah. card in my hand, the one unknown, and the next card I drew are both blind. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I liked, I liked Calum's point about, like, why would someone make the play of... Dark Ritual extirpate, dur like Duress extirpate you. And I, I like to point of like, I don't think Cyrus would make that play unless you drawn Dark Ritual. And I think so, like it's always important to understand why your opponents are doing the things they're doing. Cause I think sometimes plays just kind of look like bad plays. But I mean, especially like if you're playing in a premier level event or like in the finals of a challenge or something, like generally people don't just do things for no reason. Like a lot of people do really have logic behind the plays they're making. And it might not be the best logic. I certainly have poor logic a lot in a lot of my plays, but he had a really good read there, and that was exactly why I made that play. Is it, you know, in my mind, it's obvious Callum's going to therapy for Dark Ritual, but I drew Dark Ritual, so now I have to make this play. So he's able to yeah. use that was my draw for the turn, and it just gives you info, so you can kind of know what you have to work with. So it gave Callum to kind of time to kind of think, well, like, okay, maybe if that card was an Infernal Tutor, I'm more incentivized to crack this Engineering Explosives. But since he has the read that it's a Dark Ritual, he feels more safe to play out a Dark Confidant. And that also gives me the info of, okay, maybe he's putting a discard spell on the top of his deck, so I don't really have time to wait. Um, that was my I think thought process, exactly, yeah. And that's pretty interesting, kind of like, I think when people look at decks like this, like kind of linear 
decks but they're interacting with each other a lot. I think yeah. there's actually a lot of really interesting decision points to be made because we're both playing so many discard spells and cantrips. So mm-hmm. you, trying to deduce what your opponent has in hand is not an easy thing, and that really lets you kind of sequence your cantrips and discard spells, and your read can be completely off. But yeah. I think that in this game, both of our reads were correct for the most part in all the games, which ended up being pretty interesting. Yeah, definitely. I think I wouldn't make this read if it was a person I didn't know, or like in a league or something. <laughs> but because I know you, I think it was... Fair enough. Yeah, I think I think what's interesting about your point, just in, in terms of how it's an interesting thing to be doing in the game, and with all the talk about how with best of one and no sideboards and not wanting to have to put pressure on people, there really is nothing like I've interacted with this person's hand at one point. They've made some changes, but here's what I can deduce based on their plays. The other night I was pl- last night I was playing against elves. Uh, I wiped their board with marsh casualties. They had two lands in play, one card in hand. They drew a card and passed without doing anything to have two cards in hand. And uh, they had cast a natural order that I countered. I drew a Cabal Therapy, and I was like, you know what? I need to use. I need to cast it for Junk Pyromancer. I named Craterhoof Behemoth. Like, <laughs> yep, that's what it was. Because what else would you draw and pass in Elves? <laughs> yeah. Know? He was yeah, down I think one that... natural order. Yeah, and, Hoof is like one of my favorite cards to blind read against elves because that was a harder <laughs> situation, you know, because you don't necessarily know what your opponents do. But I, I feel like I used to play a lot of Cabal Therapies, obviously having played uh, Storm with Cabal Therapies for, for a couple years. And people, every time an elves player draws a Crater Hoof, they always get so frustrated. They're always like, <laughs> yeah. oh man, I can't believe I drew this because it's like the only well, spell on re- their deck they can't cast or whatever. And they're <laughs> always so tilted in the most like consistent way where they're like, oh, of course. <laughs> is the impression I always get. Like, oh, of course I drew this Crater Hoof Behemoth. And then I always find therapy for Hoof after people do that against me. I'm like, oh, okay, I wonder well, what this can The be. reason I mentioned it was just like, it's reading the, reading the situation is very rewarding, right? Yeah. Because yeah. from what you, from as you were describing the play, I didn't, you know, we knew because you were describing it, Cyrus, but I didn't know that Callum could also deduce in the moment that you do the, the Dark Ritual, which I think is a really, you know, fun point to make about why it's fun to play decks like this where you're looking at hands and, and where you know the the format and know what the interaction points are. So, yeah. Really cool. yeah, I think if you have enough experience in the format, you can really, really glean a lot of information in like subtle ways like this. It's not even just from discard, but he's, the creative example is perfect as well. Like in person events, it's even more so. You can definitely get reads off people like that. But even online, I think like when someone F six, that's a huge tell about what's in their hand. And or what you draw step stop or stares at your graveyard after you draw a few turns in a row. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, there's so many little things, both yeah, in real life and online, you can get, which I think, I don't know, maybe a lot of people aren't aware of these reads you can get, but they're, they're there to get if you want to get an edge. Great. Zach, I, I want to make sure you get a chance to ask any questions before we... I mean, uh, I'm just kind of taking all of this in, because uh, I, I literally haven't seen anything of this Phoenix deck, so I'm, I have it in front <laughs> of me, I'm, re- I'm reading it off, and I'm just like, this is a, a, a thing of pure beauty. Uh, the the way you know, like the way the way this matchup comes together too is is like, you know, uh, it it's it's the classic like linear deck versus linear deck. But yeah, like like uh, Cyrus was saying, like there's a lot of interaction between these two decks. Yeah, both dark think, ritual decks too, which yeah, I yeah, cool. yeah. I think there was what so the whole match took one, two, three, four, maybe seven turns total for the whole match, but it felt pretty deep considering. And that's being generous too, because the the game two essentially had no decisions on on, yes, on my yeah. end. So, uh, but the games one and three were really. Oh, game one was interesting for my side. Yeah. Game two was yeah. more interesting from your side, and then game three yeah. I think was pretty interesting for both of us. Yeah, and definitely. 
In that third game, I, I really liked your play of playing the Dark Confident. I think a lot of people there out of fear would just blow the engineering explosives. But the thing is, yeah. is if it's a if you get to untap with the Dark Confidant, you're so far ahead. That's and you're exactly. almost certainly going to win that game. And I, you have to make plays that win you the game, not games that don't lose you the game. And I think that yeah. you definitely did that in that last game. I, I hit the E on top of the library with the brainstorm, so I was going to do it next turn as well. Yeah. Plus well, yeah. it's a zero for Dark Confidant. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Everything. Yeah. Great. Well, this... Cyrus will be on the VSL tomorrow. This is usually dropping on Monday. So if you're hearing this before Monday, it's the whatever the next Tuesday is. Yeah. Um, and I forget you were up with uh, Seth Manfield. Uh, Andreas, maybe? I, Andre, Andreas Peterson and Annie Markadin. So it's actually going to be pretty exciting. I'm playing against the you know the runner-up for player of the year, Hall of Famer, uh, currently 3-0, Seth Manfield. And then Andreas was my only loss, my last pot. I'm 2-1 right now, and Andreas was able to beat me. And then uh, Andy Markton, I think a lot of people would consider uh, up there with Rich Shea as, you know, the best vintage player in the world. He's the vintage world champion two years ago. He won the Star City Games Vintage Open. Um, mm -hmm. And he is consistently winning a ton on Moto. And he's also 2-1 right now. And, you know, I think he's one of the best vintage players in the world. So it's going to be exciting because also our records are 2-1-2-1-2-1-3-0. And uh, you need to go 4-2 to make the playoffs. So there's going to be a lot on the line uh you know now uh, if 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 i five oh a vintage league with the flash channel deck i sent you will you play it in the vintage super league <laughs> uh yeah i i will not do that i, I will <laughs> i will tell the listeners of your podcast what i'm planning on playing though which is i'm because I, I think this will come out past when deck lists are due uh so I'm planning on playing paradoxical outcome storm to the surprise i think of basically no one yeah nobody's I, surprised about that <laughs> I think it's the best deck in the format. Uh, I also am fine at that deck. I recently top aided. Actually, the same weekend I top aided the Legacy Challenge, or won the Legacy Challenge, I top aided the Vintage Challenge with Paradox Outcome Storm. Yeah. So uh, I'm planning play on playing Dark that. Ritual by, per the rules. You can't play Dark Ritual. So. Yeah, I could play a really bad Dark Ritual deck, like World Gorge <laughs> Dragon Combo or Doomsday or Ad Nauseam. And I, I tested all three of those. I also did test uh, Rector Flash. To I hope that it makes you happy. Um, I'm happy. Did you have the channel? I wasn't playing that channel. channel because that's not good. But um, but uh, I, I I did test all of those things, and I'm, I'm just going to go with Paradox of Outcome Storm because as much as I like playing cool decks, I think it'd be pretty silly if the very best deck in the format is a Storm deck, and I'm, I'm going to not play it. I think that would be a little silly. Yeah. I, I recently played uh, Paradoxal Outcome, uh, the, the Vault version, uh, uh, at a at a at a meetup with the uh, Long Island City uh, vintage guys, and I I ended up taking the event down. Which uh, you know, if, if anything can uh, solidify how powerful a deck is, uh, playing it against people that are actually better at Magic than you are and walking away with the prize is is uh, got to be some amount of evidence there. Yeah, I think Nate mentioned that too, and he went four one with it in a league. Was I've like, never I'm... played vintage before in my life. <laughs> Or <laughs> one of my first vintage league of paradox welcome yeah <laughs> callum where can we find you on the internet uh so i'm known as white faces which is like a song name uh i think i think it's pretty much on everything on there it's uh twitter white faces um white faces on the source yep. twitch yeah twitch white faces and my name is callum smith so you can find me on facebook if you want to send me a message great cool well thanks to both of you guys for joining us tonight yeah, yeah it's been a pleasure and thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Uh, I did want to also mention uh, we picked up another uh, a new a new patron this week. 
Uh, so thanks so much uh, for that. Uh, and uh, you know, if you have uh, if you have the means and you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash eternal dirtles and help us out there uh thanks for listening everybody have a great night thanks for having me yep get those wonderful toys. Eternal Dirtles is supported by Audible.com. If you'd like a free audiobook and start up a trial with Audible, you can go to audibletrial.com slash eternal dirtles and they'll hook you up with a free book and you'll be supporting the show. Thanks so much.